Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. It's so good to be with you, church, honestly. Everything about the service so far has just been so encouraging, all the truth that we've been singing. And so, Alan, it's a wonderful song. Uh, We just love that song. And so if you can do me a favor right now, is turn to the person next to you and just tell them, because of Jesus, we're going home soon. It's good to be with other believers, to be able to say that to one another. It's good to be at church where we can worship God together. Now, if you've been with us last Sunday, you know we started this series, this short series on biblical hope. Biblical hope. And in these challenging times, we want to understand what biblical hope is and how that changes the way we live our lives. Because biblical hope, we said last week, is... Is rooted in who God is, what He has done, and the promises He will keep. It's a guaranteed hope. Because God is the foundation of all our hope, and in this life and in the one to come. And we turn into the apostle of hope, we said, Peter. And we're looking at his first letter to this church. A letter that teaches us what hope we have in times of suffering. And again, we recognize that Peter is writing to Christians who are severely suffering for their faith in Christ. They're going through all these trials and tribulations and they must have been wondering, is there hope at all? Is there any hope for us? And then we saw Peter starts by showing them that because of God's great mercy and what Christ did on the cross and what He did in rising from the dead, that their hope is very much alive. And what a comfort it is to know that we have a living hope as opposed to a dead hope, even in our time of suffering. But not only did we see that we have hope for believers, which is alive because of what Christ did in the past, this hope takes us to the future. Where God is keeping for us this great inheritance which is Christ Himself. Being with Christ and in His kingdom where there's never again going to be any kind of suffering. But we also mentioned that in times of trials and suffering, you might begin to wonder if you're going to make it to that inheritance. And Peter reassures his suffering audience that it is God, the one that's going to guard them till that day when Jesus comes back. When it seems like everything is falling apart around you, God says, I've got you. And one important thing we saw is how God is going to guard us. He says He's going to guard us through faith. Through faith. Through continually believing His promises. Because true saving faith, we said, is an enduring faith. A faith that will make it to the end, no matter what your circumstances are. Why? Because of the fact that God is the one that's doing the guarding. He gave you that faith, and He's going to protect it. You don't do anything to deserve it. But one thing we will see from our text today is, God will also put this faith to the test. As a means of protecting us. You see, in this process of suffering and trials, God awakens and strengthens our faith again and again and again. And through doing that, He guards us from the danger of unbelief and sin. 
which means we need to have the right understanding of trials and how that impacts our faith. If we are going to believe the promises of God in times of suffering, we need to understand how God is working through trials and challenges to strengthen our faith. I love how John Piper puts it. He says, real faith tastes the reality of God's promises. And I like this picture of tasting because typically you would agree with me that trials, they simply taste bitter and sour in our mouth. But because we have a living hope, the bitterness of the trial we go through, they actually make God's promises even sweeter. Where we recognize that not only do we have a, a living hope, but as you mature in your faith through trials, we see that in fact you have a joyful hope as well. To be able to have real, genuine joy in the midst of your trials. Because that is what the Bible says we should have, is it not? Joy in times of difficulty. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Because not only do Christians have a living hope, but we have a joyful hope as well. But the question is how? How? How is that possible? How can believers have genuine joy in difficult times? Well, Peter is going to help us see that we need to have the right perspective about trials. The right perspective about trials. So, if you haven't done already, let's take our Bibles again and we turn to the first chapter of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we're going to look at three truths about trials today. Three truths that will help you have real joy in difficult times. Three truths that's going to help you have real joy in difficult times. And here is truth number one. Truth number one. Trials always give you a reason for joy. Verse six. Trials always give you a reason for joy. Because Peter writes this. In this you rejoice. Christians can always rejoice in trials because of what they have securely in Christ. Because what is the this that Peter is talking about? He's referring to everything back in verses 3 to 5. The new birth and a living hope. An imperishable inheritance. The protection of God and a future salvation that is certain, guaranteed and secure. And after explaining to these suffering believers all the wonderful truths about certainty of their future, he wants them to see that God is not only the basis for their hope and suffering, like last week, but He's also the basis for their joy in suffering. In other words, you could say real hope in God produces real joy in God in the middle of difficulty. If you want to say it in the negative, if you're a hopeless person, you're going to be a joyless person. And it seems pretty shocking, right? Because of the context. 
Remember the context. Think about what is going on with these suffering believers to whom Peter is writing. How is there anything to find joy in when Christians are literally being put on poles, being lit on fire, so that they can light up the garden of Nero, this wicked emperor, and he can ride around in his chariot so that these Christians can light up his garden, and he can see them suffering for their faith. Yes, we understand the, the need for hope in a moment like that. But how does joy fit into all of that? How can this level of trial or any trial really allow me to still have joy when it's so hard? Because Peter is actually powerfully showing us that no matter what your circumstances are, Christians always have a reason to rejoice. And why is that? Because our joy is not linked to our circumstances. Our joy is linked to the unchanging, the gracious, the loving, the merciful embrace and promises of God. Our joy is linked to the perfect, faithful God who is always for us, who suffered for us, knowing that He is with me no matter what. Because true Christian joy is rooted in the fact that we can hope in God, and because we can hope in God, we know how secure we are in God. And that is always true. No matter what you're going through, whether you just found out your spouse was unfaithful, or you just found out you have cancer, or that you will be retrenched and you need to provide for your family, or you just found out your, your baby is going to be born with a severe disability, God is always there to be your source of hope and joy. Which is a reality because of what we possess in Christ. And all these wonderful promises we have in Christ. Our living hope makes it possible to have joy. But the question is, honestly, when the pressure comes into your life, when trials do come your way, because we know they will, this is what James says, we know they're going to come. Do you believe all this? What does your faith look like in these moments? Because we know what the Bible says in terms of joy. It says, Rejoice always, 1 Thessalonians 5. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, James 1. Or Paul in Philippians 4, Rejoice always in the Lord. And why does it seem like all the authors of Scripture are on the same page here, and we are not? Because what we naturally incline to do when trials come our way is do what? We don't like it. We easily complain about it, even to the point where we feel hopeless and we get depressed and we definitely don't see how we can have joy in that moment. And if we're honest, we recognize that we become these experts in making lists about everything that is going wrong, instead of making a list about everything that's going right. And maybe more specifically, according to Peter, everything that is going to be made right. And part of what Peter does here, he wants to make it clear that you need to manage your expectations. We need to have the right perspective about trials. And so in the second half of verse 6, he then goes on to say, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And so the first thing you do is, you look at all these amazing reasons you have to be joyful first. Remember everything you have in Christ. And then next, take a moment to consider what's actually going on. I mean, he's writing to suffering Christians and he tells them they are to rejoice at the same time as being grieved by various trials. And so do you see, he's not saying they can't be sad or disappointed or troubled by what's happening. Because he uses this word grieve here at the end of verse 6. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Which means, you're sad, you're troubled, you're filled with sorrow, and you're going through something painful, and that's real. The Bible acknowledges that's real. Peter acknowledges that suffering is real. But at the same time, he's not saying that you should only be grieving, is he? 
He is still saying that Christians can and should be joyful in the middle of their tears, their sadness and their pain. Because what these suffering Christians needed is to have the right perspective about trials. And as we look at Scripture, we see that Peter is not the only one writing and who is teaching about the reality of joy and pain together. We all know that the Apostle Paul, he lived it. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 6.10. We know this verse so well. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul said that he had these emotions and feelings at the same time. He's sad, but he's rejoicing. He had joy and sadness at the same time. And so we clearly see to have joy in trials is not to deny the real presence of pain. It's actually to recognize the fact that these can exist together. They can coexist in the same way like a mother goes through the pain of giving birth. Instead of joy and thinking about what is to come. You know, think about it. She has joy because she has the right focus. As she considers this new baby that's going to come into this world through pain. The gift she will receive after the pain does not compare to the pain in the moment. In the same way, believers must have the right focus. In order to have joy in all the trials they are facing. And so Peter adds to that perspective, this focus. He says you need to realize that trials are also temporary and necessary. Do you see it? Look at verse 6 again. Look down at your Bibles. For a little while, he says. That little while, that sounds temporary, doesn't it? And now you might think, I've been going through a trial for a long time. It's been years. It's not just a little while. But can we see in the bigger picture of the future and this time of full restoration when Jesus is coming back and the glory is coming, this suffering of one year, five years, even your whole life is short in reality when you compare it to eternity. And that's the perspective that we need to have as suffering Christians. And it's not only true if you if you believe, because here's that issue of faith again. Because if you really believe there's another life to come, that changes the way you perceive your suffering now. We mentioned this last week. Paul again, 2 Corinthians 4.17. He says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So when Paul was looking at his troubles, this, this momentary affliction he was going through, he shows us how he was comparing it to that glory that's coming, which is going to be forever, forever. And so you ask yourself, how often do I really compare my suffering now to what I believe about the future? Because we just wanted to go away now. Get the suffering to end now. Please God, stop it now. But what does your faith say about the future? What do you really believe about the future? Because I think it's the same argument that Peter is using here because he just talked about our earthly inheritance, didn't he? And so he's saying, look up. You've got to look up. You have to look forward. Because trials only last for a little while. If you compare it to eternity. Jesus, he talks about joy and suffering. And he helps us to have the right perspective as well. Luke 6.22 He writes, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. And that helps us to have the right perspective and when trials do come our way. And so the first truth we see here today is that no matter what your circumstances are, believers always have a reason for joy. You need to slow down and think in those moments, what is my joy really found? 
Trials always give you a reason for joy because of what you securely have in Christ. Where joy and pain can exist together, recognizing that this suffering will not last forever. But not only are trials temporary, Peter says they are necessary. Necessary. For a little while, if necessary. And why are trials necessary? Because we know they're not an accident, right? This is not just random stuff that's happening in our lives. And I think the answer is actually given in the following verse, which is our truth number two. Truth number two. Trials prove if your faith is real. Trials prove if your faith is real. Verse 7. Peter says, if necessary, then in the middle of verse 6, and then he says in verse 7, so that... And whenever you see those two little words, so that, you know he's talking about purpose. The author wants to give you a purpose. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, verse 7, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is going to guard us through faith until we make it to heaven. That's verse 5. And there's this... Another important truth and perspective we then have to have about faith and joy. Your faith needs to be tested to see if it's real or not. The tested genuineness of your faith. And one of the means God uses to test whether it's real or not is through trials. All different kinds of trials. And so trials are from God and they are necessary. And there's one clear reason trials are necessary is that that God can actually reveal to you whether you have the real thing or not. Whether you truly have saving faith or not. Whether you are truly a child of God or not. Which if you are, it produces even this deeper joy in knowing God. Knowing that you truly belong to Him. And it's a sad reality that many people think they actually do have faith. And in fact, it's not the case. We all know and understand that there's such a thing as a false faith that does fail and will fail in times of trouble. But how do we know then if we have genuine faith then? How can we be sure? Well, one of the ways we can tell is by our response to trials. The way we respond to trials. You remember the story of the the sower and the seeds. We all know it so well. Mark 4. Jesus says, The seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And what we see in this parable of the sower, Jesus is telling us how the seed fell on shallow rocky soil. And it sprang up and it looked good at first. But when the sun came out, it withered and died. Because it had no roots. You see, this person was in the church and he he heard the word of God and this is how Jesus explains it. He even responded with joy. In fact, it could be be like this kind of emotional conversion that happened in church. However, this person's faith was very shallow and it didn't last. Why is that? Well, maybe their false conversion was based on bad teaching. Because in many churches we know people are called to faith saying, if you come to Christ... You're going to get your best life right now. You will be able to get all those good grades at school. You're never going to get sick. But when this person eventually encounters trouble and persecution, what do they do? They turn their back on God. Maybe they believe God for healing and it didn't happen. Maybe they realize following Christ would mean being different or being persecuted for your faith. But this person inevitably falls away from Christ and he doesn't come back, which makes it evident that his faith was not real. And the trial that he was going through was meant to demonstrate that. Do you see the importance of trials? This is one of the perspectives we need to have about trials because it's actually a good thing 
because it proves whether our faith is real or not. Now for many, they go through something like church discipline or they think they've harmed by a church leader and they, they fall away from their faith and they never return. That is not true faith. Because even John talks about these kinds of guys at the church in Ephesus when he talks about the Gnostic cults. They say, he says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they're going so that none of them belong to us. 1 John 2.19 And John's not saying they lost their salvation. They didn't lose their faith along the way. He simply says they didn't even belong to us. Because they never really had true saving faith in the first place. If they were saved, they would have remained with us. And so you will agree with me that the test of faith is the most important test ever. Right? Because imagine you think you, you're going to get to that inheritance and, and all the time you get to heaven and God says, Depart from me. I never knew you. This testing of our faith is important because Peter says, Your faith is more precious than gold. There's nothing more valuable than true saving faith. But not only do we get to learn more about our faith in trials, Peter goes on to explain that trials also purify our faith. He says, more precious than gold that perishes though it tested by fire. Tested by fire. True faith is then different than gold. Because gold will perish. And faith won't. Gold is valuable because of how long it will last, but gold will eventually fade away and get corrupted. But true faith, true faith will survive in the heart and the heat of difficulty. It's one of the ways we can tell whether it's real or not. And when you put something through the fire, it has this purifying effect. It gets all the impurities out of it. I like how one illustration talks about taking a, a simple bar of metal, like just a simple bar, and then you put it through the refining process and you can make a horseshoe out of it. All of a sudden that simple bar had more purpose and value. You take that same horseshoe, you put it through the fire again, and you can make a whole box of needles. And now this grows in value and purpose again. You refine those needles and you can make these delicate springs by putting the fanciest watches you can find on the market. Every time it goes through the refining process, it becomes more valuable. Every time heat was added, the more valuable it became. And the same is true with our faith. Trials and testing are necessary because it reveals what we truly hold on to in times of trouble. And through the heat of the trial, it refines our faith to make it more precious and valuable. And have you ever seen that as you go through something difficult? Uh, even when everything seems so hard, it's your faith that becomes so precious to you. Where you're like, at the end of the day, I have my faith in Jesus. Everything else might fail, but I've got my faith in Christ. But sometimes, you know, God will bring trials into our lives to discipline us. To discipline us. To turn us away from sin. Listen to the psalmist, what he says about his experience of discipline. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. Psalm 119.67 Before he experienced discipline, the psalmist, which I think is David, was living in sin. But after the affliction, he obeyed God's word. Therefore, many times, trials are necessary to turn us away from sin and turn us towards obedience. Like every good parent does with his child, sometimes God, in the same way, will bring discipline in the life of the believer to motivate them to obey. And so it's probably good that we mention the difference between what real trials are and what the consequences of sin is. Trials, of, as we look to the Bible, include things like sickness and pain that you didn't cause. Persecution for your faith. 
losing someone you love, being ignored or abandoned by your spouse, being unfairly treated by your superiors, or someone who wants a baby but they are struggling with infertility. These are real issues and trials. But when you sin and you bring suffering on yourself, that is on you. That is not God's doing. If you drive too fast and you crash your car, that is not a trial in your life, that is a consequence of sin. If you cheat on a test and you get caught and you get expelled, that is not a trial in your life, that is the consequence of sin. If you're not faithful at work and you get fired, that is not a trial in your life, that is a consequence of sin. In trials we are told to rejoice. In sin we are told to repent. In trials we are told to rejoice. In sin we are told to repent. You're not expected to have joy when you suffer the consequences of your sin. You need to mourn and cry and turn to God for forgiveness. God knows exactly what we need and where we need to grow. He knows the stronger our faith in Him, the bolder we will be for Him. And so God puts us through trials to mature us in our faith. He tests our faith, not because He's unsure who believes. God is not unsure who believes and who doesn't. He's not wondering who's going to trust Him in the fire and who isn't. He does it so that you can be confident in your relationship with Him. And see this trial that you're in right now as an opportunity to grow. This is an opportunity to be more like Jesus. And as you grow in maturity, and you grow in how you deal with suffering, you do so by being confident. Being confident in something that really changes the way you look at things and do different things. And I'm not talking about the kind of confidence where you, you, you put the confidence in yourself. No, we're putting our confidence in, in being God's child. And as you are truly being tested in your faith and what you believe, and each time you pass the test and persevering and holding on to His promises, it's like, that gives me a new kind of confidence. And so God puts us through all these big tests of life to give us confidence in who He is and how dependent we are on Him, making us bold for Him in those times. It makes me think of the apostles again in Acts 5.41 where... They were being beaten for preaching Christ. Luke writes, Acts 5.41 When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then let them go. But look at the response. Verse 41 When they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for His name. And you think the beating would have slowed them down or stopped them. Maybe hindered their confidence in God. But what does verse 42 say? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. That beating didn't slow them down. Those who do not have genuine faith, they will give up. They will walk away because they never had the gift of faith in the first place. But those who have it, God will give you trials to test you. He will give you whatever test is needed to help you grow. And having this perspective about trials, it changes my attitude towards it. Because now I remember that God is actually giving me this trial so I can grow in my faith. The faith that He is guarding. I can actually have a deep sense of joy even when life is hard. Because God is the one doing this for my good. And so what is your perspective about trials? Do you see trials as a help that can help you know whether you are a true child of God or not? Do you see trials as a way of serving you and purifying your faith? Do you see trials can actually help you turn from sin? Do you see that trials can actually help you mature in your faith. Because God in His providence is doing whatever is necessary to help you make it home. And He doesn't want you to get there by the skin of your teeth. He wants you to get there confidently. 
Because what does Peter say in the rest of the verse? He says there's going to be this wonderful result, right? A motivation through all these trials that helps us keep going in times of difficulty. End of verse 7, Peter writes, That you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a result coming for those who, who faithfully persevere with joy and suffering. What is it? Well, God is going to give you praise and glory and honor when Jesus returns. And our expectations should be right about trials and suffering. We, we just saw all that. And Peter now mentions that, and later in chapter 4, that we should not be surprised when the fiery trials come our way. And so you're like, if trials are good then, maybe I should ask God to give me more trials. But I don't think that's what Peter is saying. Rather, we know the trials are coming to test and mature our faith. So the prayer should be, so God, help me not to suffer more, but help me to suffer well. Help me to suffer well. And if you faithfully persevere by trusting in God and finding your joy in God, who is Peter saying is going to get the glory, the honor, and the praise in this verse? It's you. It's you. You might think he's talking about God, but in fact he's talking about you, the believer, who's being guarded by God, the one who faithfully perseveres to the end because of God. And James says the same thing. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James 1 verse 12. Paul, in fact, explains that suffering actually forces us to hope in God. As God is producing in us the ability to endure and grow in our character because of what we know. Listen to what he says in Romans 5 verses 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, he says. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so imagine, you're suffering at your, your job. You're being unfairly treated and you feel like you're all alone. They give you all this extra work and they, they didn't give you the UIF money and they threatening to you can lose your job at any moment. How do you respond to that? Sadness, yes. But not only sadness. There's a real opportunity for joy and faithfulness as well. God says we rejoice in our sufferings because it produces endurance. The ability to keep going when it's hard. And through suffering we are getting a spiritual workout. Learning to endure. And this endurance does what? It produces character. To be able to work hard even when we be, we're being unfairly treated. To be able to go above and beyond to show them we will not be crushed by hopelessness. Because this character produces real hope. Knowing that in Christ you have a guaranteed future inheritance. And that doesn't put you to shame. Because now you are able to love like Jesus loves. Love your enemies and your neighbor as yourself. Because that love has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit. Giving you a loving hope and a joyful hope. And God says in Peter that by being faithful and persevering in this trial, you will one day be rewarded for your faithfulness. And so here's the bottom line. Those who are full of faith will be faithful. Those who are full of faith will be faithful. And so we see truth number one is that trials always give you a reason for joy. Because of what we securely have in Christ. And truth number two that trials prove if our faith is real. Verse 7. Purifying it and making it more precious to you. Allowing you to mature in your faith and to have more joy in Christ the more you suffer for Him. And the more we grow in maturity in difficult times, the stronger our relationship becomes with Christ. Do you see that? Because that's actually truth number three. Trials deepen your love for Christ. Trials deepen your love for Jesus. Verse 8. 
Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we've already seen that trials are to reveal and to purify and to strengthen our faith. And now Peter says that this inexpressible joy in trials comes through believing in Jesus even though you do not see Him. In those moments when you think He is far away, where is God in all of this? Peter is reminding us that it's in fact the opposite that is true because of true faith in the middle of the trial, that is actually when we see Christ more and know Him more. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. You've seen this maybe in your life. As you go through something difficult, you actually feel closer to Jesus than you have than ever before. Peter is saying that there is this deep affection for the one they've never met in person themselves, like Peter did. And so Peter says, even though you don't see Him now, or another way he's saying it, even though you see Him yet, he's referring to this time where we're all waiting for Him to come back. The right here, right now, and in this serious time of difficulty, what did they do? They continued to believe in Him. Even though His readers had not yet seen this triumphal entry of Christ, the very thing that we're all longing for, they nevertheless continued to believe in Him. Because that is what a true, purified, God-guarded faith does. In spite of all the grief, and all the different kinds of trials, suffering believers remain steadfast in their commitment to the one whom they see best through those moments of pain. It is this loving relationship with Christ that allows us to endure, to have joy in tribulation. It is this deep relationship with Christ that gives us joy that we cannot explain with our own words. The kind of rejoicing that you don't have the words for. Why? Because it's so intimate. It's so real. Because of your faith in God's promises. That Jesus is with you all the way to the end. Love is a powerful thing. I cannot help but think about Jacob and Rachel back in Genesis. Perhaps you remember the story. Jacob served Laban for seven extra years to receive Rachel. And this guy was committed to this girl. Genesis 29, 20 says, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. It was hard work to serve Laban for her, but to him, it felt only a few days. Why? Because of love. That is the power of real, deep love. And so I want to know from you, how much do you really love Jesus? How much more do you love Christ when you experience trials of various kinds? Because trials helps us really evaluate what we truly love. Because it's possible to even try and persevere in trials, but you don't grow in your love for Jesus. We even lose your first love for Jesus. Even that's in the Bible. Revelation 2, 2 to 4. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. What we see here is that it's possible to work hard for Christ. To persevere in trials. To hate what God hates and still lose your love for Christ. Where Jesus becomes this concept of theology of someone you must know in order to make it to heaven. We see from this text that faith is personal. It's intimate. Because relationships are intimate. And we know that we see this in other people too, right? 
It's the relationships around us that often enable us to endure in hard times. This bonding that happens with other people when we go through hardship together. Where trials create this tremendous intimacy and this deep connection with someone else because we're suffering together, we're hoping together, we're rejoicing together, pursuing Christ together, not forgetting our first love. But one thing we need to understand is that faith and joy is not this automatic response. It's not just this passive endurance that we go through. Because our hope is alive, there is life and there is movement. And faith is actively choosing to trust God in spite of my circumstances. Let me say that again. Faith is actively choosing to trust God in spite of my circumstances. Spurgeon, he said it well when he said that trials aren't just to burn out the problems, but also to burn in the promises. True faith results in this new kind of love for our Savior. That even though you do not see Him right now, you really love Him. Do you know what you call that? That's supernatural love. And when someone has lost their child and they put them in the grave and you see them worshipping God and loving God, do you know what you call that? Supernatural joy. You can't explain it. Through the tears and through all the sadness, there's this deep joy that's inexpressible, that comes from a genuine faith that has a real love for the Savior. Spurgeon he talks again, a little longer this time, he writes, Does a man know any gospel truth aright till he knows it by experience? Is not the reason why God's servants are made to pass through so many trials that they may really learn many truths not otherwise to be apprehended? Do we learn much in sunny weather? Do we not profit most in stormy times? Have you not found it so that your sickbed, your bereavement, your depression of spirit has instructed you in many matters which tranquility and delight have never whispered to you? I suppose we ought to learn as much by joy as by sorrow and hope that many of my Lord's better servants do so. Last night we watched the movie My Family and it's based on a true story of this man who, who even had to lose his... After praying in faith for his wife to get healed from cancer, looking like she was clean from cancer, the cancer came back and she died. He walks into his room, he's smashing his guitar all over the place, he's angry. But he responds, writing a song that says, I still believe. No matter what just happened, I still believe. That is the kind of faith that perseveres in trials. And if knowing and treasuring Jesus is our life's greatest goal, and joy and sorrow are a way to get there, then we welcome them both with open arms. We might still look to avoid the pain and rejoice when suffering misses us and passes us by, but we embrace them both as a good thing. To obtain our greatest goal in this life, which is what? A closer, more intimate relationship with our Savior. And so we seek to join Paul in saying, Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Christian, your hope is alive. Your joy is alive. And our relationship with Christ is vital as we go through these times of trials and suffering. But God is giving us the, the right perspective of our trials. And we looked at three important truths today about trials. And the first one was that trials always give you a reason for joy. 
We see that Christians always have a reason to rejoice because of our relationship with Christ. No matter how difficult things are right now, we always have a reason to rejoice. Because of everything He did in the past, the present, and everything He's going to do in the future. And truth number two, trials prove if our faith is real. They are good because they test our faith, they prove it's genuine, they refine it, make it pure, stronger, and better. They help us turn from sin and to trust Christ in the middle of the fire. So that when the next trial comes, we can actually change and grow. And then our final truth, truth three was, trials deepen our love for Christ. Trials allow us to grow in our love for our Savior. Trials help us to grow closer to Christ, walking by faith and not by sight. Through faith, God is guarding us till He returns. And trials make us long for His return. And so let me close by reading the words of Jesus. Jesus says in John 16, 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And here it is. And no one will take your joy from you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a loving, gracious, merciful Father you are. Not only that you would send your Son Jesus to suffer the the death that we were supposed to die, but that He rose from the grave and with all that gave, gives us this amazing salvation. Giving us true saving faith. A faith that is now being guarded through You. A faith that's being tested to see whether it's genuine. Not because You wonder, but it's so that we can be confident in our relationship with You. So Father, change the way we look at trials. Help us see what a blessing they actually are. Give us the kind of faith that helps us persevere with joy. So that people when they look at our lives and they see this kind of joy that they cannot explain. We can say it's because of Christ. It's only because of Christ. That is the only reason. So Father help us not to waste our suffering. Help us not to waste our trials. Even this week, may you be glorified as we long to be glorified with you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.